Hello, and welcome again to Forefront 360, where we hang out at the intersection of great art and Christian faith. In today's Arts Review episode, we will be hearing from Nate. Hello. Our newest team member, Sean. Hey there. And myself, Rich. We've all been blessed with the opportunity to experience great work over the past few weeks, and we have something we want to bring to light for you today. We'll start with Nate. Yeah, so I'd like to talk about the new film, First Man. just came out on October 12th. And it's directed by Damien Chazelle, stars Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy. And um, I saw this in IMAX. It was a great experience. Um, They filmed certain sequences with IMAX cameras, so it's kind of fun. You get the the typical widescreen aspect ratio for most of the movie, but then it opens up into the the taller IMAX ratio um, during a a sequence that you might expect, um, given given the subject of of the film, which is the first landing on the moon. And uh, so it was, a, it was a great experience watching it, and I think overall it's a really good movie. Uh, Damien Chazelle also directed Whiplash and La La Land, both of which Ooh. I really enjoyed. Um, so I was excited to see this entry in his uh, filmography. And I think uh, one thing to note about this movie is that rather than kind of being the, the typical historical film that basically goes from event to event, and shows you, you know, here's all the stuff that happened. Um, it, it tries to focus more on the emotional journey of Neil Armstrong, uh, played by Ryan Gosling, and, and just kind of what he went through on his journey to becoming the first man to walk on the moon. And so that, that is just the focus of the film, and, and the emotional journey has to do with him uh, losing a, a daughter early, um, mm-hmm. early on in, in her life. So it's um, him dealing with his grief and how that affects him and uh, all the way through to the, the landing on the moon and beyond. Um, what is his emotional arc? And so I, I really respected that. I mean, I think it's a, it's a fine thing to, to ground a movie in. You have to have some kind of emotional arc for the main character, and I thought this was a fine one to focus on. Um, so overall, it's, uh, it's you know, an amazing achievement in history. It's a great story. Uh, it's well told. It's a strong emotional arc. The acting is fantastic. Um, I think it's, you know, Ryan Gosling has a lot of subtlety here because Neil Armstrong wasn't very emotive. He was very kind of closed off and, and didn't want to kind of show what he was feeling, and he just kind of did things. And so that, that came across very well. I did want to, however, bring up one criticism I had of the film, which is that it really ignored um, issues of faith entirely. So you know, here at Forefront, we look at how art and faith intersect. And the moon landing was actually a, a profound experience uh, for, for Christians um, because it was this kind of getting getting off of earth and getting onto the moon and kind of be, interacting with another thing that God had created that we'd always seen but we had never walked on before and so it was kind of this moment of emerging out of the atmosphere landing on this new object and experiencing this new thing and and so it was kind of a, a profound moment spiritually and um, Buzz Aldrin one of the astronauts who went to the moon was actually a Christian and Uh, He was actually an elder at Webster Presbyterian Church near Houston, Texas, um, at the time that he went to the moon. And so knowing that he would soon be doing this kind of unprecedented thing of 
of walking on the moon. He wouldn't be the first one, but he would walk on the moon. Um, he felt that he should mark the occasion somehow. So he talked to his pastor, and uh, ultimately um, his pastor like consecrated a communion wafer and a vial of communion wine, and Buzz Aldrin took those elements up with him. Whoa. And so prior to walking on the moon, um, he, he reached into his, his kit and pulled out the communion elements and a 3 by 5 card, uh, which he had a Bible verse on. And so before anybody walked on the moon, Buzz just kind of silently took communion and then read uh, John fifteen five, which is, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me. So it's this kind of profound spiritual moment where Buzz is like, I'm about to do this huge thing. And then, you know, Neil, Neil walks on the moon and Buzz joins him down there. And so um, that was something that, that they actually, like, in, in real life, NASA didn't broadcast that at all. They actually wanted Buzz to say some words that were less kind of Christian than that. They wanted something more generic. So he did. Um, but he had this very spiritual moment. Um, and very Christ-centered moment. And the film just not only ignores that entirely, but actually turns Buzz into kind of a... almost a comedic character. Like, they make him into kind of a jerk. <laughs> Somebody who seems very, like, insensitive, um, says stuff that's kind of mean to other people, seems like he's not very, like, socially aware, um... And they don't, they don't show aspects of his faith at all. So it's not even like, oh, we're going to make Christians look bad. It's like they don't even touch Buzz's faith at all. Is that an aspect of his personality that was somewhat true? And they just kind of accentuated it a little too much? Or do you think and that's, I don't know. I mean, I, it could be. Like, they, they may have just kind of taken something and run with it. Okay. Um, but as far as I know, he wasn't like a jerk. He was like a very kind man. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, so that that was kind of a piece, you know. Apparently, Neil Armstrong was more of a, a deist and not not necessarily a Christian. Um, so I don't necessarily fault them for not like making that all spiritual. But I felt like they didn't do justice to Buzz Aldrin <clears throat> in the film, and so um, that would be just a criticism that I that I had of it, and that was kind of sad. Hmm. But overall, uh, definitely worth watching. Yeah. Allow me to just say, um, very well, I didn't know any of that, which is fascinating. And um, I'm really interested now because when I saw the fact that there was a movie called First Man playing at the movie theaters, I thought it was about, like, cavemen or something. Like <laughs> First Man. So that, that's super interesting to me. But. Um, Valid assumption. Yeah. But one place, but First Man on the Moon totally makes sense. But one. Uh, Adam and Eve. <laughs> yeah. But one thing. Uh, one thing that I uh, haven't thought about in years, but when you said it, it just came to my mind. Um, and now I really want to engage with this story and with this movie because um, I remember learning in elementary school about the moon landing, I think probably in fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. And um, coming home from school one day and telling my parents that I learned about the moon landing, etc., and they said, like, oh, isn't that amazing? You know, wouldn't, you know, do you ever want to go to the moon or something? Yeah. And my response to my parents was, no, I don't want to go to the moon because I think that it would be very scary to go someplace where God isn't. Oh, wow. And yeah. my parents were like, what are you talking about? 
And I said, "You watched First Man, didn't you?" Yeah, no, <laughs> no, but, no. But what are you watching? <laughs> yeah, no, no. But it's so interesting because I, I recall this pretty clearly. That when they said, "What are you talking about?" It occurred to me that no one had ever said, like, no one had taught me that, like, God was only on Earth and outside of Earth, mm-hmm. God wasn't. Mm-hmm. But I think that for some reason, my child brain just kind of like defaulted to everything I've ever known about God is him presiding over earth. You know, he works with humans on earth. And I think that my brain just sort of defaulted to the idea that, like, if you left earth, you'd be leaving kind of, like, now leaving God's jurisdiction. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And my parents, of course, were like, no, that's not true. And and my, my dad is a teacher, and he excellently has always led me to conclusions by asking questions. Um... In a pretty Christ-like manner, actually. But, uh, yeah. hope you're listening, Dad. But the, uh, <laughs> no, but I remember him saying to me, do you think that God is smaller than the solar system? And I said, no. And he said, so do you think God is bigger than the moon? Far, he, is he farther away than the moon? And I was like, yes. And he was like, so do you think that the people that were standing on the moon were outside of God? And, of course, I said, no. But I remember wrestling with that for a while and um, thinking that even if God is there, I think that you would probably feel pretty far maybe from from God standing on this barren rock, you know, far away from earth. Because everything we know about God is in context with planet earth. So right. it's just a very interesting thing. Yeah. His plan for mankind and what he's been doing, yeah, on earth. Oh, and he, yeah. even uh, many uh, things that are yet to come are placed on earth as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the thought of being um, off of earth is probably, well, definitely something that most Christians have yeah. not thought about in history. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of frightening. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the the moment where Buzz Aldrin takes communion was actually dramatized in an HBO miniseries. Mm. Is that um, how you heard about it? And or? no, it's not how I heard about it. But um, I I noticed that there was a video clip of this HBO series, mm. and I watched it, and it's like really great. Yeah. Like I mean, we we might think of HBO series as is not being something that would represent the faith well, and mm. often they don't. But in this case, like it's a great clip that you can watch on, just on YouTube, and it's like. That that's it's such an amazing look into like what that moment would have been like, um, yeah. where it's like yeah you're on this isolated place but you still are holding on to faith in Christ mm-hmm. is like that's what's grounding you, and it's like super moving um, just to watch that little piece of it. So it was kind of a, a missed opportunity I think for for first man to kind of go in an opposite direction from that, um, but uh, it's neat that. You know, we can look back at history and know like what actually happened, and it's it's actually really cool. Yeah. Uh, really one cool. more quick question about that: Is there anything about the film that was like pleasantly surprising? Something you didn't expect that you got out of it that you didn't? Yeah, you went into it, and yeah. something else kind of popped up. And no, it's a good question. I I think overall, uh, it's what what was surprising to me was the way that they integrated um, Neil Armstrong's emotional story okay. throughout it and um i think that was that was really special and it it really makes you think about how you deal with hardship in life mm-hmm. because he deals with it by just like putting up a shell and mm-hmm. and just like pushing through and like he just like goes on to do great things but he doesn't open up at all and mm-hmm. it's just like it's kind of heartbreaking watching that 
um, because you know what he's going through, but he doesn't say anything. Hmm. And so I, I found that to be very moving and, and, yeah, kind of heartbreaking. So rather than a chronicle of events, it was like a yeah. personal look at his emotional journey. Yeah, definitely. Ryan Gosling has a lot to do in the movie because yeah. it's like the camera is trained on him much mm-hmm. of the time. Um, and Claire Foy is awesome as well from, mm-hmm. from the crown fame. Yeah, and now she's headlining the new uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo movie, which I was surprised to see. She's really skyrocketing. There you go, yeah. So, uh, going from outer space and zooming in a lot. (laughs) my uh, bring us back down to Earth. Yeah, literally. um, The thing that I want to share, um, it's actually twofold, but they kind of run together. So, I recently came across an article online talking about uh, a book, which is a collection of essays recently published by Front Porch Republic, which is, they might have print, but I know that they're primarily an online journal. Um, and the, the central um, ideas of their journal are focusing on localism. So the name of the book is Localism in the Mass Age, a Front Porch Republic Manifesto. My favorite topic. Um, yeah. It's, I, I, anyone who's talked to me recently knows that this has been on my mind a lot. And uh, so I, I recently dove into the book, and it's very interesting because the more I read um, these essays, the more I realize I've been thinking about these things a lot over the past few years, and they've kind of been loosely collecting in my mind, but um, it's been very interesting to read these essays, and uh, they, they really do a good job of tying together all these threads that have been uh, developing in my mind and my, my thinking and the things that I've been hearing from other people and reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been cool because it, essentially it's been giving me language to express some of these ideas that I kind of had to do in a clunky way before. Yeah. Um, and I've only read like two or three of them. I'm, I've already seen my ability to think these things through at a deep level and improving like very fast. Um, and so it's been really refreshing to, uh, to go through those essays. And, uh, the other thing that is a follow through with that is, um, for the past few years, um, I've been going to the, uh, Compline service at Christ Church downtown, uh, right down on East Ave near Gibbs Street and Java's and stuff. Yeah. Um, so Scola Cantorum, which is a group which I believe is mostly comprised of Eastman students, but I also believe that some people who go to Christ Church are in this group. Um, they sing the Office of Compline, which is, I was actually just doing a little bit of reading about it recently. Compline comes from the Latin word completorium, which means like completion. So it's the office that finishes out the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, the service itself is a short service. It's like 25 minutes or so. Um, but they sing beautifully. They sing um, Latin hymns, some hymns in English. Mm-hmm. They, they sing the Lord's Prayer. They recite some um, prayers that are spoken. And it's, it's a very interesting experience because um, it's a candlelit service. Um, and it's in a beautiful, if you, I don't know if you guys have ever been inside the, the sanctuary mm-hmm. there, but um, it's a beautiful, I, I don't know how old it is, but it's, it's gorgeous and it's a great place to reflect and to think, um, it it allows. It's almost like an anchor for my week, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of people go there for the musical aspect of it. It's just really, really good choral music that they sing every week. But um, as someone who's a Christian and someone who didn't really have a lot of exposure to liturgical forms of worship, it's been a really refreshing um, perspective on worship. And um, yeah. 
it's uh and the interesting thing too is i'm i am a sucker for good choral music um and i would go there and i listen to these incredible performances um and they would get to these spoken parts of the service and it would be you know i'd be like kind of like hurry up let's get to like the the crazy songs right Mm -hmm. and then but i found that the more regularly i went the more value i started to to derive Mm -hmm. from these parts that i of the service that i had overlooked Mm-hmm. Um, so I all that to say that I think there's a lot of value in going week after week after week. There's a lot of ways in which the liturgy works on you. There's a lot of ways in which having that anchor um, for the, the the beauty of the music, but also the anchor of what the, the prayers are saying, how that works on you from week to week. Um, yeah. And That's another awesome. cool aspect too is that they do uh, the, the first Sunday of every month. Um, they do. Uh, uh, a performance by I think it's typically Eastman students um, so it's like a half an hour candlelight concert um, so it's a, another opportunity to showcase a lot of the, the cool music in our area mm. um, so yeah from October through April every Sunday night at 9 o'clock at Christchurch is a great opportunity to go listen to incredible world class that's very uh, cool choral that's music yeah. so I, I used to attend not regularly, um, I, but I've gone to Compline when I lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. for a while, and that was yep. that's something that I really miss in my. Um, again, not that it was routine, but uh, I didn't know that there was a Compline service mm-hmm. here in Rochester, so that's very cool. cool. And invite me next time. I'll yeah. come with you. Yeah, yeah. I try to go every week. So, yeah. and I feel like that ties into like localism as well. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good time. That's so cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's just, let me throw in one more other thing too, is like, um, the way that it ties you to an historical form of worship is really powerful because when you hear these words that they almost like smell ancient, mm-hmm. that's the best way I can mm-hmm. describe it, um, you realize people have been praying these prayers for many, many years, oh, yeah. for centuries. Yeah. And that's a, a strange experience Mm-hmm. Right in the modern age that we live in, the idea that there's something that extends that mm-hmm. far back in the past, and you're still part of that ongoing tradition. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's uh, there's a and we've discussed this on the forefront podcast in the past, but that's uh, something that um, when they use the term like the Church Catholic, not being the Roman mm-hmm. Catholic Church, but the the Church as a whole, yeah. um, in a lot of places in the globe right now, there's kind of a uh, like a revival of that old um, church Catholic liturgy um, because it connects us to it connects us to Christ via people who have been connected to Christ for Mm -hmm. so long it's it's interesting we're starving for it I think yeah Yeah, it's cool it's a neat fusion where on the one hand you're like meeting with a local body of people who are just like doing this this craft and and meeting Mm -hmm. with other people who live near them but on the other hand you're also being connected to this body of Christ that extends as global back, as it gets right, yeah. generations and generations completely global yeah, yeah. Um, and, so and it's thanks like to, uh, yeah. thanks to Buzz I mean <laughs> extra global and yeah. beyond yeah. Yeah. yeah good stuff yeah and and communion uh, to, to tie a thread through those things communion is probably the, the most common form of that um, yeah uh, again not Roman Catholic but Catholic worship spanning where across we, all yeah where we span worship, across yeah. Uh, churches and time and mm-hmm. yeah. it's and the veil so it symbolizes our oneness in Christ yeah very cool don't get me going on this stuff I could go yeah, on yeah, yeah. all day guys <laughs> we'll discuss that another time we'll pass it off to Rich cool 
So uh, the first thing, I'd like to talk about two things, but very uh, briefly, because I know I could go on it for too long, so I'll try <laughs> to keep very brief. Uh, I'd just like to do, uh, speaking of old things being made new again, um, uh, I'm, I'm an English teacher, and this year I am teaching Arthur Miller's The Crucible. And I had never read The Crucible before in high school or otherwise. And I recently finished reading it in order to prepare for teaching it. And I have to say, um, it is a fantastic, fantastic play. And for any of you who have not heard of it or have not read it, you should read it. And for those of you who either quote-unquote read it in high school (laughs) or um, have only heard... uh, from maybe high school sources that it's kind of a boring or dry uh, thing, as, which is, I think, a, a, rep, a reputation that it has acquired. I think that is... I banish those thoughts. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it, it's... Them. Yeah, I reject them all. No, I'll Substitute my own. <laughs> exactly. No, um, The Crucible by Arthur Miller. It's a fantastic play. Um, I do not cry particularly easily, and... The only play I've ever cried in is All My Sons by Arthur Miller. So I knew that Miller was a fantastic playwright going in, but um, I knew it, it, you know, The Crucible takes place, it's about the Salem witch trials and takes place in a Puritan environment. And so I didn't really know what to expect coming in. Puritans are kind of famously dry, um, no pun intended. But really, he, he deals with history brilliantly while inserting very, very timeless ideas and characters. and um, But I think that the real reason why I'd like to bring it here to this uh, forefront context discussion is because Arthur Miller, not a Christian, um, he actually has a famous speech called the Atheist Speech where he gives his case for um, atheism or at the very least deism. Uh, and he kind of I mean, by name, he supports deism as the best philosophy for America during the Cold War. Um, so not a Christian um, by any stretch. But um, as a Christian reading The Crucible, he deals with the faith in a very respectful and very knowledgeable way. And just page after page, that kept surprising me. And um, he clearly has a very, or I should say had, but he clearly had a very um, good grasp on the scripture and on the Christian faith because the way that he deals with the debates that of course come up during the Salem witch trials mm-hmm. about um, and he, he quotes scripture constantly as characters in you know various ministers or, or Christian people in the play mm-hmm. um, and there's never a point where I feel like he doesn't do it justice both in accuracy to what these Puritan people in the late 1600s would have believed or said, but also justice to like the real spirit of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And as a person who's famously atheistic and writing in the 1950s, I was expecting, honestly, I was expecting the Crucible maybe to be kind of a wry hit at oh yeah, the like Salem a straw man kind of a thing. right like yeah. the Salem witch trials were so terrible because these crazy Christians <laughs> just like you know were like burning people, but yeah. that's not what it is at all. And and honestly, the um, well, really, there isn't. Uh, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but there really aren't any heroes in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, there are antiheroes, but there's no. And I think that uh, that that is very accurate. I think there weren't too many heroes during the witch trials, but I think that the um, the the characters that we feel are have the most heroic moments. Many of those moments happen due to their faith. 
And I just, I was really impressed by that. So, um, yeah, so go out and pick up, uh, you can read The Crucible for free uh, online through Amazon, or you can pick up a copy of the play. Uh, the runtime of the play when you're watching it is only 90 minutes, so the read shouldn't be too long. So yeah. definitely worth worth reading. Given that it's meant to be experienced like in the medium of a play or on the stage, yeah. um, do you think anything is lost when you're just reading it, or do you feel like everything comes through well enough that it's still a, a strong experience and one worth having even if you yeah. can't see the theater production? Um, definitely... I I'm I have not seen it produced. Definitely, as with all plays, I think that certainly I assume that things are lost, and I think that on the stage you would see, um, you could see some tremendous uh, experience, some great emotion maybe that you wouldn't experience as fully uh, just reading it. But um, from a reading drama perspective, um, I've read a number of playwrights. Um, and I've done some amateur directing. And one thing I will say is uh, Miller is one of one of those playwriters that really wants his play to be performed his way. Mm. Whereas some, some writers of plays, including Shakespeare, leave a tremendous amount up to the director. Yeah. So there's very limited stage direction. Um, most Shakespeare, if you read Shakespeare, he doesn't say anything about the person's facial expression or tonal- tonality. It'll just say, you know, so and so enters and draw draw his sword or whatever. But in in Miller's plays, um, he kind of peppers the text with um, little, you know, asterisk spots where it'll say, you know, uh, you know, you can Sneeze see, here. yeah, or or things like, you know, um, as Paris's voice rises, we can see um, the rising stress in his face, mm. you know, and so. When you read those stage directions that he puts in there, I think he really does paint a very vivid picture. He's, he's yeah. writing a very high resolution in a sense. Yeah, that's yeah. well said. And I think that part of that is his style of writing and he's uh, how he really wants his the the picture to be painted mm-hmm. his the way he intended. Mm-hmm. But I also think it has to do with uh, gonna gonna English teacher on you here, but the uh, <laughs> the fact that I mean plays that were written before the 1900s were written solely with the intention of being handed over to a theater company to produce, whereas plays in the 20th century, um, playwrights knew that they would be printed and read. Mm-hmm. So um, more more stage direction was given in, um, you know, quote unquote modern era plays um, being like 1920 and forward uh, because they were published in book form. Um, so, right. so but yeah, both contexts, right, sense, right, so. and of course that they're way better to be read. Um, like I, I have not. Like I said, I saw the play All My Sons and was really, really, really moved by it. Um, I don't know that if I had read it, if it would have moved me in the same way. And that's uh, that's the art of acting and directing. And yeah, so read read plays, read The Crucible, cool. um, especially as a Christian. I think uh, I think more Christians should be reading that play. At least in New York State, where I teach, every eleventh grader in public school reads The Crucible. So I wish that more. Christian adults were aware of the book and willing to talk about it because that's a great entryway into discussion of faith with your children or children that you might come in contact with or whatever. So, yeah, um, cool. So switching gears to something that uh, is actually more more childish, but not all the way. <laughs> um, I would like to shout out a TV miniseries called Over the Garden Wall, which actually was released where it aired on TV in 2014, um, in October. 
but it is now available for streaming uh, for the for the first time, to my knowledge, legally, um, <laughs> on Amazon Video. And so I uh, saw it on there, and I purchased it and just watched it through. So, uh, and I I really can't recommend it enough. It is um, it's created by Patrick McHale, who is famous for. So don't don't make judgments based on this alone. But uh, he's famous for being the creative director for the Cartoon Network show Adventure Time, uh, which is not really very meaty, but the, um, but he, uh, it's an understatement. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and Patrick himself has even said that he appreciates his work on Adventure Time and other things in order to provide for him a staircase with which he could produce solo projects like Over the Garden Wall. And at the end of this discussion, I'll tell you what he's working on now, which I'm very excited about, but so this um, is further up the staircase. <laughs> very much so. Yeah. So, so the thing is so interesting because um, it looks visually, it looks similar to many of the Cartoon Network cartoons that Patrick has worked on, like um, Adventure Time and the Misadventures of Flapjack. But um, yeah, so the uh, but in the actual writing and the execution of the show, it it uh, it's night and day. Well, let me get to some details. So it's a it's a ten part miniseries, and each part is ten minutes long. So um, the whole the whole thing only runs about a hundred minutes, mm. and uh, but originally it was aired as a five night special with two ten minute episodes a night. But now you can stream it all in a row, yay! Internet streaming. But the um, but anyway, all so yes, exactly. And because it it is in miniseries form. Um, but because of the length being only 10, 10 minute episodes, it really does watch kind of like a, um, a film, like it's the length of a, a typical children's film. And, um, so basically it, it has been praised, uh, primarily for its aesthetic. So it combines, and these are someone else's words from the guardian here, but, um, they say it per- perfectly captures the aesthetic of a new England autumn. And it also captures the a modernized version of the aesthetic of early Walt Disney cartoons. So the the quote from The Guardian says, uh, the show makes you nostalgic for things you weren't even alive for, mm. um, which is really interesting. That's pretty, uh, it's saying a lot. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, it, and it really does do that. Um, each episode, well, maybe not each one, but m- many of the episodes begin with a very short, I, I guess, montage of just um, autumn scenes, which kind of set the still scenes which sort of set the mood for each episode mm. and um, the episode follows two brothers as they um, are walking through the woods and I'm going to try to give away as little as possible but um, they're wandering through the woods trying to find their way home and uh, as the plot thickens we learn a lot that there's much more to it than that but that's kind of the the arc and each as it is a journey each episode they're a little bit farther along the path in the woods and the setting is slightly different and uh, he just does a brilliant job uh, animating that uh, but beyond the visuals the visuals are really what draw drew me honestly and then also have drawn a lot of people but uh, past the visuals it's been described as um, surreal scary and equally re- well written for children and adults so it has going along with that kind of fall aesthetic uh, the first couple episodes happen prior to Halloween, so there's kind of a spooky sort of Halloweeny feel to the first couple, and then after Halloween passes, uh, it 
you know how there's there's a subtle difference between October and November? Like mm-hmm. you can just feel the difference between those two months. Yeah. You somehow you can see the difference in those two months in the show. It's just would, so well. Would you recommend watching it in that way, where you watch the first Ooh. section right before yeah. Halloween? And then... if possible, yes. But I I think I think that we uh, I think that we. I mean, I've only watched it in one sitting, and okay. I enjoyed it just as much. Um, Come on, delayed graphics. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. But um, so the the but even beyond that, so we got kind of the the written aesthetic. But even beyond that, uh, I think, and these are my words here, but the message that the show has, um, and I don't, I don't believe, given what I know of Patrick McHale, I don't believe this is purposeful, but it has an undeniably Christian message, and it is. Uh, it's strange how seemingly Christian the message is. I mean, the the villain is referred to as the beast, and he moves throughout the woods prowling like a lion, and he um, tempts the boys and various other characters into um, doing certain things, and he deceives them. He deceives all the characters, even those that uh, appear to be on his side. And it's just such an accurate depiction of, of a Satan figure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's amazing to think that it's not purposeful. Um, and it may be. I'm just saying as far as I know, it, it doesn't appear to be purposeful. People are going to start going back and watching Adventure Time looking for <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, um, the, so... <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> right, right. So the, the overarching themes of the show, I would definitely say, are ultimate sacrifice... Um, temptation and deception and then an ultimate battle between good and evil that spans both the magical world of the show and the real world um, that we live in and I I can't say anymore because it will give away some twists and turns but I think that 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 theme which is very um, Narnia-esque like the idea in Chronicles of Narnia that Aslan exists in both worlds Mm -hmm. but as a different name in, in the world of the children. Um, there's a very similar vibe in the show, and I think that uh, it's done very ex- excellently. So I would say that uh, any fans of the Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings or uh, even vintage cartoons, you should definitely check out the show. Um, it stars Elijah Wood, Tim Curry, Chris Isaac, and others. And the, everyone does an excellent job, but um, those are my favorite names in there. Nice. Tim Curry is so creepy. But um, yeah, but I'll, I'll just leave you with this. Um, so Patrick Mihail has been doing some other things for Cartoon Network and whatnot, but uh, as of right now, he is the creative director and co-writer of Guillermo del Toro's upcoming Pinocchio film. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about that because he has he does an excellent job in Over the Garden Wall creating a not grisly, but just like truly eerie and spooky vibe at certain times, and I'm... Guillermo del Toro is infamously <laughs> spooky, so yeah, I'm very excited to see. And that's a stop motion film, so yeah. um, that's I'm very interested in that. So look out for that and check out his past work over the Garden Wall now on Amazon. Cool. Yeah. So thank you all for spending time with us. I hope that uh, you've enjoyed this and you are uh, interested in maybe checking out some of our things. Please sound off on the comments, and we'd love to continue discussion with you. So. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next time. See you guys.